Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. Great to be with you, all of our listeners again, all of those who want to get into God's Word. Now, we post this Bible study every Wednesday evening for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha. Now, we know that there are people even in the Omaha area who cannot be with us at that particular time for various reasons, sometimes illness, handicaps physically, uh, work schedules, whatever it might be. We know also that people across the country and around the world want to be in God's Word, but obviously they cannot be with us in at our church building in Omaha, Nebraska because they live in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. But we're thankful that people want to be in God's Word. They want to learn the Scriptures. And so we're thankful to have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word over such a widespread basis through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful you're here with us, and we're thankful that we can be here with you to open up God's Word and study a little bit further, learn a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, and grow in our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We encourage you also to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook, friends, text messages, other technological means, with family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. Help somebody else get into God's Word and grow in their faith, and maybe you can help them even get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them, but it will also be a great blessing for you. Also, tell people to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose. Our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily Monday through Friday radio program called Search the Scriptures. And what I really consider to be a gem, a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes each day, we call today's Bible class. And that covers pertinent issues to our times and also from the Scriptures. And so all of this will automatically go to your smart device for free, and it will always be free. So tell everybody you can. We're going to get back into our study. We just began last time. We finished up 3 John, and so we're moving into the book of Jude. Now, we really focused last time on the first couple verses of There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. And so we looked at those first couple of verses by way of introduction. And Jude, of course, used those, what he said in those first two verses by way of introduction into the rest of the letter. So Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, as we pointed out, we we believe that Jude was actually a, not only just a brother of James, but we believe James was a biological brother, that is a physical brother, through their their biological mother, Mary, of Jesus. And so if Jude was a brother of James and James was a brother of Jesus, then we would understand that Jude was also a brother of Jesus. Now again, remember that Mary bore Jesus physically. He was in her womb. But now Joseph was not, Mary's husband was not the biological father of Jesus. Mary became expectant with Jesus, with expectant with child, through the Holy Spirit. 
So biologically, she was her, she, she was his mother in that she bore him. So Jude and James would have been the full biological brothers of Jesus by way of Mary, but also they would have been biological brothers through Joseph, their father as well. So just little clarification there. And then Jude, Jude goes on and he says, to those who are called. So we talked about what that means, the called. We're talking about Christians, true New Testament Christians. And how are we called again? We're called by the gospel of Christ. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29 said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, so we're called by Jesus through the gospel. And we talked about that from 2 Thessalonians. And in 2 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul talked specifically about how we are called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we begin with verse 13. He says, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel to which he called you by our gospel. We're called to salvation through the gospel message of salvation that Jesus brought from heaven and taught while he was here upon this earth. He is the Savior. He is God the Son. He died on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins because we're, we're above the animals. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and so since we become sinners, we need someone, some entity above us to be able to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Now, God tolerated, used, instructed the practice of animal sacrifice in Old Testament times to atone for the guilt of man's sins, but now he... He's already sent Jesus. Jesus is above all. And so he paid that price for the guilt of our sins. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 27 describes him as being the one time for all time perfect sacrifice. And so there, there is no more need for physical sacrifices of any kind as far as offering a life, a blood sacrifice, because that's already been done one time and for all time. And I said Hebrews chapter 8. It's Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 28. And speaking of Jesus, the Hebrews writer says, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Now, Jesus was sinless as he lived upon this earth, and so he didn't need to offer sacrifice for his own sins. And then because he is who he is, he is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. That one time upon the cross was sufficient and is sufficient to this day until he comes again to pay the price for the guilt of the sins of all mankind if we will come to him as our Savior. 
in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait him, uh, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And then I want to read one more along this line, and that's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. And here the Hebrews writer puts it this way. We see, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels in that he took physical form to come to this earth as our Savior. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, for everyone. So Jesus is that one time for all time perfect sacrifice as God sent him to that cross and he died thereon to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Now then, he also was buried in that tomb. We know that. There's no question about that. And on the third day, he arose from the dead, risen, alive. God raised him up. And so there in in essence is the gospel message. Jesus is the Savior. His death on the cross, his burial in that tomb, and his resurrection from the grave proves that he is who he claimed to be and still bears that identity as our Savior, the Savior of mankind, the only Savior of mankind, and for all time, until he comes again. So, Jude says he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, we're called to come to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Remember that Jesus told the apostles to go, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when many of the Jewish people there on Pentecost, upon hearing Peter's gospel sermon, as the church came to exist upon this earth, came to be established on that day, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And as Mark recorded the Great Commission, Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So to those who are called, those who are called are called through the gospel. And the gospel message is open to all, to all people who will read it, hear it, taught, understand it, believe it, and obey it. And obey it. Now, a lot of people don't think that our obedience has anything to do with salvation. Well, then how do you explain 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, where the Apostle Paul said that on that final day of judgment, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming back, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, God offers us forgiveness and salvation eternal life through the gospel message that Jesus brought from heaven for all of mankind, the message of salvation, of redemption, of forgiveness, of eternal life. But we have to 
understand it, and we have to believe it, and we have to obey it. Now, somebody said, well, how, how do you obey the gospel? I just read a number of verses. Jesus, he told the apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Again, what did Peter preach on Pentecost? The gospel. He preached about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, Acts chapter 2. And when he was asked, what shall we do? By many of the Jews gathered there on that day, after listening to what he was preaching and teaching, he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ, of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Our sins are forgiven as we're baptized into Christ. We come to salvation as we're baptized into Christ. And we are baptized into Christ. And that's the only way we come into Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3 and Galatians 3 and verse 27. So Jude then, to those who are called, we're called by the gospel message that Jesus brought to this earth, to all mankind, the message of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus as our Savior, sanctified by God the Father. And that word sanctified means set apart set apart from the world in that we have been reborn. As Jesus told Nicodemus, must happen. We're reborn as we're baptized into Christ. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. And preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, when we become a Christian, when we're baptized into Christ, then our life changes. It's a transformation, as the Apostle Paul, Paul put it in, in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. We're transformed from a spiritual perspective. We become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. And so we are preserved in Jesus Christ in that once we become a Christian, and we live that faithful, obedient Christian life consistently, then nobody can pull us away from that ultimately, that eternal home, that eternal life in heaven. Now, we can walk away from that ourselves. We can go back into sin ourselves. And there are different texts of Scripture that talk about how Christians can become, can, can drift back into sin after becoming saved in Christ. They can become lost after having become saved. Now, that, that really bothers a lot of people, but it's just the reality of the matter. That's what the Scriptures teach. If, if, you could not, if you could not somehow be lost after having been saved, then why in the world do you find such verses of Scripture as Jesus laid out for us? In, now, I know John was the penman there, but Jesus, he's, he's quoting Jesus' words there in Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, if there was no possibility of becoming unfaithful and thereby losing your salvation after becoming a Christian, after being saved in Christ, baptized into Christ, then why in the world would Jesus have said to be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Yeah, no answer, right? I mean, why would he say that? But that's not the only verse of Scripture that emphasizes continued faithfulness on the part of a Christian. It's over and over and over again through the New Testament. 
the Hebrews writer at one point warns about drifting away after having become a Christian. And, and so why would the warning be there against, you know, being on guard against possibly drifting away <clears throat> if there was, <clears throat> excuse me, if there was no chance of a person drifting away, <laughs> away from faithfulness? Well, you see, again, it, it, we, we just need to understand it's, it's there over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament scriptures. We, we can't just talk our Christian life. We have to live our Christian life. Live our Christian life. Now, let's move on to verse 3. And as I said last time, as we introduced this particular letter, Jude, I've more recently become, I guess, more focused upon the basic theme of this letter, or some people want to call it a, a book of the New Testament, but it's a letter. And, and so it's, it's focused upon the importance for us to maintain our purity in our Christian faith to maintain our purity in our Christian faith by staying true to the Word of God. And so basically, Jude is written to warn against false teachings and false teachers. <clears throat> now, I'm afraid in the denominational world today that call themselves Christians, there has come to be less and less focus on the importance of staying true to God's word and guarding against false teaching of all kinds. Because when you look through the denominational world that call themselves Christians, they're all over the place doctrinally. Now, what do I mean by doctrinally? Teaching. The word doctrine simply means teaching. We, we, focused upon this to a great extent in 2 John, again, only one chapter in that, short, in that short letter, verses 9 through 11. And there, we emphasized how John emphasized the importance of staying true to God's Word. Now, if we're going to stay true to God's Word, we can't be all over the place as to how we understand it, interpret it, apply it, live by it. It means the same thing for every one of us. God's not the author of confusion again, but of peace, Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, in Second John chapter, again, only one chapter, verse 9, John writes, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. To abide in means to live in, live by. He goes on and says, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, again, that word doctrine simply means teaching, has both the Father and the Son. And then he goes on in verses 10 and 11, and he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine or this teaching, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So beware of false teachers, in other words, and if anyone comes to you with false teaching, does not 
that does not coincide with, that contradicts the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of Christ, then do not give him any encouragement in his false teaching, because in so doing so, you could actually be contributing to that false teaching, and you can be held accountable. Now, some people would say the doctrine of Christ there simply means you need to believe in Christ. And so they try to separate it from the teachings by Christ. They want to say there's, there, the doctrine of Christ means you believe in Jesus as God's Son and your Savior. But then they, they don't want to include all the teachings by Jesus and all the teachings of God's Word throughout the New Testament, which is certainly which are certainly the teachings of Jesus. No, the two go together. You cannot abide in the doctrine of Jesus, believing in Jesus, without also accepting all of the teachings of and by Jesus. And that would include the entire Bible. And specifically as Christians, we focus in on the New Testament scriptures. It's a package deal that goes, they go together they go together, and we need to understand that. Now, in verse 3 of Jude, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. He's writing to Christians here. So he's talking about the common salvation that all Christians enjoy. There's only one, one gospel message of salvation. There's not 1,400 different ones or 2,000 or even five or ten or even two, there is one gospel message of salvation. That's it. And God had it written down for us, and it's clear and easy to understand. And we've already talked about that. The Hebrews writer says, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, in other words, the Savior, God the Son, you shall die in your sins. So we must believe in God. We must believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we also must live by the teachings of God's word. And here, John the Apostle, as we just said, he just said, you do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, you do not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And Jesus even talked about how we need to follow his words. John 12 and verse 48. And also he said in, in John chapter 8 and verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples or followers indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall, shall set you free. Well, the truth is narrow. Truth is always narrow. It's not open to all kinds of contradictory uh, applications or understandings and interpretations. It is narrow. Truth is narrow. It either is or it isn't, whatever it's saying, that whatever it's teaching. And so we can't just come along and say, well, well, you understand it that way and I understand it that way. No, that doesn't work. You may be wrong and I may be wrong, but we can't both be right if we're understanding it and interpreting it in two contradictory ways. 
Now, you may be interpreting it wrong, and I may be interpreting it wrong, but we can't have different contradictory interpretations of the same scripture text and both be right. Because again, truth is narrow. So Jude is warning here. He says, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Again, there's only one plan of salvation. There's only one gospel message of salvation. Paul wrote in Romans 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God to salvation, the gospel. And there's only one gospel. And Paul emphasizes that in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. He rebuked those Christians in Galatia, some of them at least, for being led into a different gospel. And then he said, but it's not a different gospel, because whenever you change the gospel message, it's no longer the gospel message, because again, truth is narrow. When you start changing God's word, it's no longer God's word. It's your word, and that's not authoritative. So Jude says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, notice this, exhorting you to contend, strong word, active word, contend, and then tacked onto that is an adverb for further emphasis. I write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith is simply God's word. It's simply the message of Christianity, the gospel of Christ. And it was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all given to mankind. It's not something that, that has to be reconditioned and kind of adapted to the times as the generations go on and as culture changes, no, the culture needs to change to conform to the faith, the teachings of God's word, Christianity. Once for all delivered. Now, once for all, what does that mean? One time. That's it. Just as we said, Jesus was that one time for all time perfect sacrifice on that cross. He brought an end, dying on that cross, to animal sacrifices and all kinds of blood sacrifices. He was the one time for all time perfect sacrifice. Jude says, the faith, God's word, the gospel of Christ has been once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all means God's not sending another message of salvation. It's already here, written down for us in the New Testament scriptures. And Jude makes that very strong exhortation contend earnestly 
for the faith. The faith. So don't take it lightly. Don't think, well, you know, society has changed, culture has changed, so we need to kind of twist the scriptures to make it fit to the thinking of the culture now. No. The culture, again, needs to change its mindset to fit to the scriptural teaching of God's Word. God's Word is the authority and the only authority. Culture is a, an improvisation of man, not of God. And so man keeps changing culture. God's Word stays the same. We're going to stop here. We're going to go a little bit further along this line next time. And again, Jude, this one chapter letter within the New Testament scriptures really focuses on the importance of staying true to God's word and to being on guard against and staying away from all kinds of false teachings. And that would be any teaching that does not conform to God's written word. Think about that as we get together, as we wait to get together next time. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. And Father, it is so clear and easy to understand. But Father, the devil's always working to try to cloud our vision of the truth of your word. Help us to stand guard against that. And please protect us against it. Help us to always stand firm on your word, Father. And to help other people see the clear message of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. That you communicated to us by having it written down in the Bible. We give you the praise, the glory, the honor, and thanks, Father. And we beg you, please, Father, forgive us and hear our prayer. Be patient with us, please. Give us time to make sure that we're getting it right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.